Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. I invite you to listen as I read our scripture for us this morning, taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, and then verses 11 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all the mysteries and everything else, and if I have such complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away everything that I have and hand over my own body to feel good about what I'm doing or what I've done, but I don't have love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, reason like a child, think like a child. But now that I've become an adult, I've put an end to childish things. Now we see a reflection in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know partially, but then I will know completely in the same way that I have been completely known. Now faith, hope, and love remain. These three things, and the greatest of these, is love. Let us pray. Gracious God, I, I, I thank you for all who are gathered in this service for the vocalists as they share of their gift of music, for the musicians as they, they lift their abilities, for my fellow liturgists as they share from their heart and their faith, for little Nathaniel as he shared with us his joy. Lord, I, I pray that you would take all of these gifts, including the words that I'm about to share, and you would use them. Father, may your truth shine through everything that we do. And may that truth touch the hearts and the minds of those who are listening and watching. May each of them hear from you what they need on this day. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago now, and, and when I say many, I mean a long time, we're talking over 30, I was flying back to Atlanta from Ohio, and it was well into the night, it was well past midnight, and I really preferred that time of day in the Hartsville International Airport, because most of the time that place was jammed, but this time of night, I doubt that it's that way now, but then this time of night, the airport was almost completely empty. It's like I had the place to myself. And, and there were times that I would be in the concourse and, and being young at heart, I would get on the moving carpet and I would sprint down it, feeling like I was a world-class sprinter. But on this night, I decided to walk rather than to use the moving carpet. My mind was wandering, not really sure what I was thinking about, but I was deep in thought until I noticed, and really it was more like I sensed, a change in the light around me. Startled, I looked up. 
I could hardly believe what my eyes were seeing. I closed them, holding them tight, and then opened them to refocus with a greater dedication to take in what they were seeing. It didn't take me to realize that what I was seeing was absolutely true. Right there in front of me, almost so close to touch them, were the Boston Celtics. The light around me had changed because a wall of humanity. We're talking Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, and Larry Bird. There they were in the flesh, basketball gods. I stopped in my tracks. I'm sure my mouth was agape. And I wanted to say something important. I wanted them to notice me. I wanted them to, to recognize me. And all I could get out was, hey, did y'all win tonight? Larry Bird didn't even lift his head. Robert Parrish looked the other way. Kevin McHale glanced at me. I think maybe he nodded. I'm not really sure. It's possible he was just annoyed. But nonetheless, it was a moment that I shall never forget. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, and it is centered around an iconic story in the Gospels. All three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, contain this story, where Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to the mountain, where he is transfigured before their eyes. Every year as we come to this story in Jesus' life, my own story about that meeting in Atlanta rises to the surface. I suspect it may be true because of how startled I was. I simply was caught off guard. I did not expect to see anyone or anything. It's just like Peter. I think he was completely caught off guard. As he saw Jesus transfigured before him, and then joined by Moses and Elijah. You know, I didn't grow up in church. I came to faith at the age of 15. And if someone had come up to me in my younger days as a child and said, hey, today is Transfiguration Sunday, I would have had no idea what they were talking about. I can imagine the expression on my faith. My face would have been like someone like my dogs when I talked to him and and. I assume he, he understands and he's listening, but he, he cocks his head, so I get the impression that he does with that apparent desire, at least in my eyes, that he understands, although he probably is still utterly confused. We all who have dogs know this look, don't we? I, I wonder how many of us, even those of us who grew up in church, know what this Sunday's all about, other than the story itself, where Jesus brought John... James and Peter, they took him, they, he took them on a hike to the mountaintop where he was transfigured in front of them. And then he was joined by Moses and Elijah. I mean, the story stretches our imagination as well as our perception of reality. There may be those who have joined us online today who might not really call themselves people of faith or just check in to see what we're about and as we tell this story, it probably sounds rather fantastical to say the least. But nonetheless, I want to invite you to listen as I read these verses for us again from Mark's Gospel, the ninth chapter. Six days later, Jesus brought Peter, James, and John, and he took them to the top, 
the very top of a high mountain where they were alone. He was transformed in front of them, and his clothes were amazingly bright, brighter than if they had been bleached white. Elijah and Moses appeared and were talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all this by saying, Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let's make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did this because he didn't know how to respond. For the three of them were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud spoke, saying, This is my son, whom I dearly love. Listen to him. The story of the transfiguration is truly a fantastical story. But yet it's placed in a prominent position in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This story is connected to Jesus' teaching of what it means to follow him, where he tells his followers, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves and take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. To be honest, this teaching of Jesus that precedes the story of the transfiguration may actually be harder to grasp than the transfiguration itself. It feels like a gut punch. To find yourself, you must lose yourself. Or put another way, to find your true self and the deepest meaning in life, you must be willing to risk letting go of everything that you hold most dear and trust the love of God to give you what you most truly need. I suspect for the writers of these three Gospels, Jesus' transfiguration was more than just a fantastic story. I suspect because of its placement in all of them, this story was intended to call us to a deeper understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. As we are told within the verses, or verse 7, about something that is far more important than anything else in life. We must learn to listen to him. You see, the transfiguration refers to a complete change of form or appearance into something, a more beautiful or spiritual state. On the mountaintop, Jesus' appearance changes. His face becomes radiant, as if a brilliant light was emanating from within him, unveiling the truth of God's love for him then emanating through his life beyond the mountain. In his teaching, Jesus unveiled God's love for us, calling all of us to come home. I wonder if you've ever heard the story described that way. I certainly hope so. I am not nearly as concerned with what happened on the mountain that day as I am with understanding what it means for our lives today. I want to know why all three gospel writers felt this story was so important that they included it in their telling of Jesus' story and message. As I said, I suspect it revealed something about how it impacts our lives as his followers to this day. I find myself drawn to Peter's response. It reminds me of my own experience with the Boston Celtics, but it pales by comparison. 
And yet I sense he was flustered, overcome with surprise. And yet I think his intention to engage them was real. He wanted to acknowledge what he was witnessing. He wanted to embrace that moment. So he said, Lord, it is good that we're here. We can commemorate this moment by building a shrine. There's nothing wrong with that response. You see, a shrine is a place that is regarded as holy or sacred, that is marked by building, by building or, or, or establishing some sort of construction. It is not unlike what and how many of us view monuments even to this day. We place great meaning on them as they help us remember or recall some aspect of our past and our connection to our sense of history. As I said, Peter's response was in no way wrong, but still I think he was missing the point, as we unfortunately do as well. You see, Jesus' desire for his people was to become unstuck from clinging to their past with its shrines and monuments. His desire was that they start living into the faith that they possessed, that they held in their God every moment of every day of their lives. It wasn't about some theological construct as much as it was a call to be transformed ourselves. I say all this because of that one line, verse 7. The voice of God as it comes from within the cloud. This is my son whom I dearly love. Listen to him. Faith is an active experience. Faith engages us and leads us to respond from what we have experienced. Faith is not merely something we commit to memory. It transforms and transfigures our lives. To be transformed or transfigured refers to a complete change of form and appearance, calling us to live into our faith, whereby we become a more beautiful, truer unveiling of who we were created to be, revealing a deeper understanding of the spiritual connection that we have and we share with one another. As I said a moment ago, on the mountaintop, Jesus' appearance changed. His face became radiant, as if brilliant light was emanating from within him, unveiling God's truth and God's love for him. Then through his life beyond the mountain, Jesus unveiled God's love for all of us as God's children, calling us to come home. Faith requires a response based upon what we hear as we learn to listen and as we experience the power and the movement of God's Spirit. Faith is far more than building shrines or monuments to remember the way it was, or the good old days where we can keep the transforming power of God in these moments under our control, as well as at a safe distance. That is why I chose to read these words from the Apostle Paul in his first letter to the church at Corinth in chapter 13 this morning. We know this scripture. We know it well. It is the love chapter. We equate these words with weddings and like days. Today is Valentine's Day. No shame or guilt here, but I'm thinking more of us who are gathered here and watching on the live stream are probably more aware that today was Valentine's Day than it was Transfiguration Sunday. Now, no guilt, no shame. I could be wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. But if, am I, if I am right, I get it. 
I really do. And, and, and actually, the truth is, at least in my, ma my mind, understanding what this day means as Valentine's Day, to love and to show kindness and compassion, if we do these things, then in truth, we are living into the meaning of the transfiguration. Not so much by giving flowers or chocolates, you see. Love is not revealed by how much we know or the correctness of the beliefs we hold. As Paul clearly and correctly says, these things fade and pass away. He tells us our faith, no matter how strong we believe, even if it is enough to move mountains, if it is not revealed in love, then it matters little. He goes on even further to say, even if we sac sacrifice hours on end to work within this shrine, the church where we trust the sacred presence of God dwells. No matter how much we sacrifice, it matters little if there is no love that drives all that we do. We know the description of what love looks like. Patience, kindness, humility, seeking to build one another up, making sure they have what they need rather than only seeing them as a way to get what we want. Love seeks justice for all. It seeks truth no matter what the cost. It puts up the annoyance that we create for one another as human beings. It seeks to see the good in all and helps the others see the good in themselves. It has hope as its foundation and truth as its pillars. And it fully believes and trusts that faith, hope, and love are the building blocks of the message of Jesus and the kingdom he calls all of us to experience and live into. Knowing deep within our own hearts, all along, the marker, the emblem, the radiance that must come from all of us is simply love from one another. So on this day, whether we celebrate it as Valentine's Day or Transfiguration Sunday, may our lives shine with the message that captures and drives us. This is my son whom I dearly love. Listen to him. I want to end my time talking to you or sharing with you with the words of Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. I have grown to cherish much of what he's written. I read these words well over 30 years ago and they've haunted me since the first time I've read them. Someday after mastering the winds, the tides, and gravity, we shall harness for God the energies of love. And then for a second time in the history of world, humanity will have discovered fire. That's a beautiful and powerful quote that calls us, that invites us, that begs us to align it with these words in Mark 9, 7. This is my son, whom I dearly love. Listen to him. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.